Warning, this episode... Hey, is this thing on? Well, beware! Your broadcasts have been interrupted by the great Dr. Mobius! With my legion of deadly robo-scorpions! With their pincers! And their lasers! And their lasers! Beware! So I have interrupted your... Wait, uh... What was I doing again? Yes! Well, I am interrupting your broadcast because I would like to tell you about this podcast! Beware! It contains adult language! Like poopy! And mature situations! Like technological advancements beyond anything you've ever dreamed! Like robo-scorpions! With their pincers! And also grieving mad scientist fathers! Like my father before me! He was a mad scientist, and he thought when I was born that I'd made a mistake, and he was sad a lot! But that is what this is about! There are also flying saucers, like the M12 I designed in my backyard when I was 13. But again, I've gone too far. There's also cyborg canines, where we take the brain of a canine and we put it into a giant robot, so it can destroy with its robot lasers and missiles. Yes, and also... A 100,000 horsepower bird robotic boy who will be a hero. And let's put inside of him laser fingertips and, and, and then a machine gun in his ass. Yes! Brilliant! And also this podcast contains Osamu Tezuka's legacy. Lasers! So without further ado... I hope you enjoy this podcast, and remember, listener discretion is advised! Beware! Beware! Episode 134, Japan's Most Famous Robot. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spark and Manga Review. This is your host, Zan, saying what's up? We're back for another fun-filled episode, and I'm ready to go, and I'm very psyched about this episode because of what we're covering. But, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. 
For those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. Spark inside that provides information and reviews about kinetically enhanced narratives. Every episode will review one or two titles depending on the situation, and what we do is we cover the manga entirely. Who created it, how was the art design, the characters, the story, the plot in general, if it's worth reading or not. You don't have to agree with anything we say or our review, but I've heard we're entertaining and we give you some interesting facts and anecdotes that are definitely worth knowing. You can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.spirekin.com, where you can also check out our secondary podcast, the Spirekin Movie Review, and the Spirekin Con Report Review. You can also email us at spirekin at gmail.com, or you can email me personally at zan at spirekin.com. Our Twitter is spirekin. Our Google Plus is going to be spirekin. And if you have a touchtone phone, you can call us at 206-350-8462 and leave us a voicemail. We will play the voicemail on air. All this information and more will be in our show notes. You can check them out on the website, or you can check us out on any feed catcher, whatever one you like. Anyway, this is a pretty interesting and rough episode. Now, unfortunately, I am not completely qualified to cover the topic at hand, but I'm going to do my damnedest. So, any questions, comments, concerns, remember, email me, sparkin.gmail.com or zansparkin.com. Tell me what you think. So, if you remember from the last episode of the Sparkin Manga Review... I spun the one, the only, the Wheel of Manga. Yes, and I dictated to me that I'd be reviewing a manga which is very instrumental to the growth of the anime industry, the growth of the manga industry, and it set the principles up on how characters were designed in manga, going from that Gekiga photorealistic style to the more big eyes, small mouth, and cute look to it that's very similar to Betty Boop. The series originally came out all the way back in 1951. It ended in 1968. It was released by Kodansha and Kobuncha, released over here by Dark Horse Comics, and the version I'm reading is actually the third collection version, so it's a little out of order, but it's very well done, and it's got a nice little insert in the beginning written by the author himself. He actually inserts himself. He does a redone version of the origin, which works pretty well. Also, there are three different TV series. The first one came out in 1963, and that was the first series for like 193 episodes. Then there was a second series in 1980, which was 50 episodes, and then there's a 28-episode series in 2003. So the series is pretty prevalent. There's several movies, including one which came out in 2009 that was ruined by everyone's favorite Coppola, Nick Cage. And this series is instrumental to a lot of the author's other series because most of the characters are in the star system which he has created. Now, the star system is that they have cameos in other mangas he's written, and we've reviewed many other mangas that this guy has done. And this manga also has been instrumental in influencing other series, including... Urasawa Naoki's Pluto, which we reviewed back in episode 51, Robotic Murder and Intrigue. You can check that out at our review link on the website. And this series has been very instrumental in a lot of things. Now, before we even get into what this is, we have to talk about the creator. Now, for those of you who have listened to this podcast, we've covered many of this guy's work, and I've done his biography like four times. So, this is kind of old hat. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is something new, and of course this guy deserves it, because this guy was the man himself. Some people believe that this man was an alien that came from the stars, and he brought his insanity to the world and changed it forever. Other people think that he was a robot that was powered by a 100,000 horsepower battery that could do so much work, and that's the only reason why, if you look at his biography, 
there, he never slept. But undeniably, aside any of these theories, the truth of the matter is, is this is the man who changed the course of manga and anime history. Who am I speaking about? I'm talking about Osamu Tezuka, the unofficial god of manga. This is the guy who created the hectic work schedules we hear about all the time where they sleep for one day a week. Also, he's a guy that was inspired by things like Betty Boop and Walt Disney to create that big eyes and small mouth that has become the staple to a lot of anime and manga series. He's done a lot of work, and the funny thing is that he was a licensed doctor who decided, I don't want to do medicine anymore, I want to be an artist. And he did that, and he's done so many series. From Kimba the White Lion to Unico to Blackjack, which we reviewed in episode 87, to Princess Knight and his greatest series of all, Phoenix. A lot of these series we haven't covered yet, but some we have covered, and we've got a lot more coming out. But the series which I'm talking about is considered his greatest work, even though it is not his favorite work. And what am I speaking about? I am talking about the one, the only, Tetuan Atom, or as we know it over here, Astro Boy! A series which is about a guy's desire to bring his dead son back to life. Now I know, that's completely contrary to any preconceived notions you have about Astro Boy, if you know who he is. But just hold on, trust me, let me explain it. Now, going back to 1950, Osamu Tezuka is contracted to create a bunch of manga. And he created this series called Atom Taishi, or Ambassador Atom. Or, as we know him, Captain Atom which is a one-shot about this conflict between aliens that invade Earth and Earthlings. And there's this robot that kind of tries to negotiate the peace between these aliens and humans. Originally, the story was called Adam Continent, and after a little bit of this and that, Osama Tezuka decided to change a lot of the aspects because he was influenced by Betty Boop and by Pinocchio and decided to make it a little more kid-friendly, a little bit more relaxed. And what he created was something which was completely different and unique to manga in general. Because most times it was four comas, it was gag comics, and this is a more serialized story which was a lot more dramatic. And if you read into the subtext, it's a lot more in-depth than what you would think for a kid's story. So, this takes place in the far distant year of the 21st century, around 2030 or 2100, depends on what version you're reading. But long story short, it's in the future. It's an alternate timeline. And back in the 60s, 1963, a scientist created the first robot, which was to be used as a cheap labor force for mankind. And, well, this robot was big and clunky and scary. A bunch of scientists came together and said, you know what, this is a great workforce. We have these robots. They don't talk, they don't do anything, but they're a little bit intimidating to our factory owners and also the workers themselves. They can't work with these giant, scary robots, so let's make them a little more appealing. Let's make them look more humanoid. And they do this, and they make him look designed more like with fingers and eyes and a smile, and it works out. But then the scientists come back together and say, you know what would make this a lot better if we gave him some kind of skin, because that metal looks a little weird. So they gave him plastic skin. And now the robots have become more identical in appearance to humans, and they've integrated into society. They have homes, they have feelings and thoughts of their own. What has started out as a slave class that was created for the betterment of humanity has become its own civilization, its own society. And humanity doesn't know how to cope with the fact that their slave labor force that they created has started to rebel against them a little bit because they have emotions and feelings and they want equal rights. So the scientists have come together and they created the laws of robotics. Ironically, the law of robotics are the exact same law of robotics that were written by Isaac Asimov back in the day in the 20s. So it kind of works out. 
And there are three laws, very easy to follow. First one, a robot must not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. Long story short, they can't hurt humans. Some robots do eventually break this subroutine, they become murderous evil robots, and that's what makes robots so fun. But, getting off topic. Rule number two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except when such orders conflict with the first or third law. Third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with rules one and two. So they have these rules to make sure that their slave force does not go against them and will follow rules and they give them some equal rights. Works out in one, two, three, right? Yeah. It's all great and awesome. Not really. These laws pretty much ensure that the robots are going to end up being a slave force and that they really can't do anything more than being just property. This laws troll robot activity and they create these segregation policies and you didn't think that this manga would have a lot of talk about segregation policies and class restrictions did you it does but let's get into where the manga actually starts the manga opens up with a small boy driving a car this is tobio tenma the son of the current minister of science and why is he driving a car we don't know. But, as you can guess, a nine-year-old can't drive a car. So, he ends up crashing the car and ends up dying a horrible death. Which is pretty bad. And Professor Tenma is grief-stricken by this. Because he loved his son. So, like any insane mad scientist, he decides to get an idea. He decides, you know what? My son died, so I'm going to bring him back to life. Yes, yes, but... The body's gone, so I'll make a robot in his image, and it will be my son! And I'm going to use all the resources I have in the Ministry to create the perfect work of art itself! The ultimate in robotic science! And through a montage sequence, because you gotta have a montage sequence, he ends up creating Tobio, an exact replica of his son, and he raises him. Now, Tobio has a little bit of issues, because at first he's just a robot. He is able to parrot what... Dr. Tenma says, like, he says, Papa. And, you know, when he eats food, he has to open up his chest plate to take out the food because he can't digest it. But as time passes on, Tobio starts to emulate more of human emotions and the human spirit. And it actually starts to develop that which we can call humanity. He becomes a little boy. And he's able to really enjoy some of the things that he does with his father, even though he still has that mechanical aspect. He still is a robot at heart. So if Dr. Tenma asks him a question, he calculates in his head super fast because he's got a supercomputer for his brain. Or if he drops a ball under the couch, he'll lift up the whole couch because he's super strong. Or if he sees a kite flying, he'll jump up in the air and his feet turn into rockets and he flies after the kite because he could fly because he is still a robot. And the result of this is that Professor Tenma is kind of happy about this in a weird sort of way. Dr. Tenma gets some satisfaction in the fact that he has his son again. But as the years go on, he realizes that this creation of his is not his son. It's a doll which he's made which never ages. So as he grows older, Tobio stays the exact same age, never growing up. When this realization finally hits Professor Tenma, he goes pretty much insane and treats Tobio horribly. And when Tobio says, Father, what's wrong? Professor Tenma's like, You're not my son. You're just a doll I made. I don't need you. I don't want you. And he ends up selling Tobio to the evil Hameg. Hameg is a typical Tezuka villain, and he runs the Robot Carnival, not to be confused with the 1980s film, even though it's kind of inspired by it. But... Tobio is now the property of Hameg, and Hameg proceeds to remove 
every vestige of humanity that Tobio has, which is all the clothes, all the stuff. So Tobio is essentially just has his little short shorts on and boots in his body. And when Tobio asks, um, sir, can I please have some clothes? Hamag's like, you're not a human, you're a robot. Robots don't wear clothes. And so this begins his trek into slavery as a, a sideshow attraction because he's super strong. He has all these abilities. He's got laser fingertips. He can speak 60 languages. He can see anywhere. He's got a super computer brain. He's got machine guns in his butt. Why they put it in there, I don't know. But he ends up being rescued from the circus by Professor Okinomizu, or in English it's Dr. Elephant, who is just a guy who has a big nose. He's a very prevalent Tezuka character. He saves him and takes him to the Ministry of Science because Dr. Tenma's disappeared because he went crazy after Tobio, or Astro Boy as we now call him, left. He's now gone crazy, disappeared, so now... As I said, Professor Ochinomizu is now in charge. He's the boss, and he takes care of Astro. Has him help solve crimes, troubleshoot issues, and just be a general help to mankind. Now, I know that's a completely odd and strange <laughs> description of the first chapter of Astro Boy, but hey, without spoiling everything, is kind of tough. Now, the first volume I have which is the Dark Horse, is actually a combination of volumes one and two, which is pretty cool. It cost me four bucks. You got six stories in here, and all of them are good. Now, the first story after the quick origin is about a cyborg robot that has the brain of a dog and how his master, who's played by Mustachio, a very prevalent character that is used constantly in all Osama Tezuka's work as different characters. He's actually Astro's school teacher and neighbor. He trained this dog to be the best that he could be and the dog was kidnapped and turned into a mercenary for this crazy woman who wants to steal diamonds from the moon yeah I know it's fucking convoluted but it is what it is and it's a pretty damn good story it takes place quite over time other two stories you have is you have one with a alien ship that crashes and Astro has to help the little boy who comes out of the spaceship find a home because he's an alien you have one with a magician, and then you have one about a coup d'etat where an evil person wants to take over a country that's ruled by a robot. He wants to actually take over the robot, take control, and become the new leader of this country, and Astro is able to thwart his endeavors. Now, I know, you're like, wait, what the fuck have I gotten into? But this is what it is. Astro Boy is, it's a lot of little serialized stories that go off and they have all these adventures that he has. He fights crime, injustice, he saves a day, he treats people well. Eventually, Professor Ochinomizu creates a family for him. A robotic mom and dad who look humanoid, and then he has a sister named Uran, or Astro Girl, who also saves the day. There's other series later on, which he gets a little brother named Cobalt, or Jeto. You have characters like Atlas coming out, you have... Of course, Pluto, the the world's strongest robot. And all these other stories come out through this series. And like I said, it's 23 volumes of good storytelling. It's kind of kiddish. With its constant use of gag scenes, you have breaking of the fourth wall constantly. As we said earlier, Osamu Tezuka actually makes an appearance in this as himself. Just talking to Astro or interacting with other characters. A chapter will begin where Osamu Tezuka is sitting there in his library writing something, and Astro comes up, asks him a question, and he's like, 
That's a very good question, Astro. Well, what if I tell you about the time that you, and it transitions over to the story? And I like the way that it was done. While it does have that kiddish quality, which I just spoke about, it has this timeless sense to it, which it seems almost like it's in a world all its own that still exists even today, and that works to keep it interesting to today's youth. But more importantly than that, it has that underlying theme, which it covers so many topics that a lot of kids' manga won't cover. It covers topics like death, rebirth, controversies with social classes, social topics. It's definitely worth checking out just for that aspect of it. It has so many little things that you really wouldn't expect, and it's done in a way where a kid won't notice it, but an adult will. And that's kind of cool. Now, one thing I forgot to mention completely is, in the beginning of the manga, there is a note saying that, first off, there's one which is thanking you for picking up Astro Boy. It's a very prevalent and wonderful series. But there's a note saying, attention reader, due to the time and the period, most Japanese were not aware of other races, blah, 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 blah. Pretty much saying that, please don't begrudge the manga for it having a lot of racial stereotypes in it. It's because Osama Tezuka never met a black man before, never met a Hispanic person before. This is how he thinks they were. And it's a little racist in that point, but not too much. And they explain that, you know, it just he didn't know. You have to take it with a grain of salt because it was written in the 50s, which was over 50 years ago. Over 60 years ago now. Long time ago. Now, before I give my review, let's talk about the art style a little bit. It is typical Osamu Tezuka designs. Very simplistic. They're very reminiscent to the old Disney style, the old Warner Brothers, the Max Fletcher styles, where they're very cute, very simple circles and smiles and very approachable and nice. Even when you see horrific scenes, it still looks kind of cute to it. And this was the staple for all other anime and manga for the future because this was copied repetitively because Osamu Tezuka started it all. This is truly worth This is where it began. And for those of you who don't like it because you like things like the FMA designs, the One Piece designs, and you think that this is too simple, well, hey, it's antiquated, it works. This is what most people liked originally, and I would recommend just giving it a chance. Just don't ignore it. I think it looks really good, and especially the fact that it's hand-drawn. It's not computerized. And some of the scenes are very detailed, even though it has that very retro look to it. Now, overall... The series is very dynamic. It's got a lot of nice undertones to it. It's got a very classic style, which is very reminiscent of, like I said, Betty Boop, Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse. It has the big eyes, and it's very cute. And there is a lot of things in here which are dark in it, though. Because it is a kid's manga, but you have a lot of dark things, like characters do die. Sometimes Astro doesn't win when he does win, and sometimes he fails, but he's able to pick himself up and keep going. So they don't pull a lot of the punches, but, and while there are some deaths and some topics which are covered which are a little bit mature, it all works out in the end, and it's a very good translation overall. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, he's just geeking out because it's Astro Boy. I'm like, no, it's actually very well written, and it's really well designed. The translation is top-notch. Dark Horse did an amazing job with it. But more importantly than that, it has an integrity to it, which it just works. It's something you don't see anymore, because you don't see this in the Harem series or in series like Flame of Rekka, the typical Shonen Jump Power Creep series. You don't see all these little topics, which it covers. Life, death, 
social class, and it gives you a reason of why this is such a hallmark in manga and anime history. Now, you can get this online for relatively cheap if you buy it on Amazon. And like I said, it's 400 pages for 10 bucks right now. I just looked. I would recommend this highly. Uh, for those who don't know, we have a 5-point rating system. From our lowest being take it to a priest, purify it, burn it, and then piss on the ashes to our highest, which is really, really, really fucking cool. And even though this is an older series, even though there are some flaws with it, I have to give this a really, really, really fucking cool. It's an amazing read. And to see all the little nuances he put in. Unfortunately, it is hard to find some of the volumes. Like, I have volumes 1, which is 1-2, then volume 19, then volume 7. It's hard to find some of the in the middles, but you can find if you look for it. And it should drop it down, but it doesn't, because each one, you can just pick up and read. There is no real continuity besides that first volume. You can read in any order you want, and it will make sense. It's Astro Boy, this happens, and this happens. You know, Astro Boy goes, saves the day. Astro Boy has to solve the mystery of a man who is killing people, but you don't know what he looks like. Or, there's a robot that's stealing money. Where is the robot? What does he do? Or there's a magician who has mumbly jumbly powers, but he's a robot. How can Astro defeat this this person? Well, you gotta read to find out. Truly a masterpiece, in my opinion. Now, you don't have to agree with this, but hey, this is really, really, really fucking cool. It's got that old school style to it. If you don't like that old school Tezuka design, you're not gonna like it, because a lot of it does look a little dated. For example, they don't have cell phones. They have view screens. They have computers the size of a building. You have all these weird retro designs to it, but hey, it gives it that nice nostalgia to it, and it works. I really recommend the series. There aren't a lot that I will truly recommend, but this is one of those ones that I do recommend highly. I could say a lot more about this, but you know what? Go out, read it, check it out. Tell me what you think. And we'll see what you think. That's all I can say. <laughs> Nothing else. So, with that in mind, remember you can check us out at www.spyrkin.com. You can email us spyrkin.gmail.com or zanspyrkin.com. Call us at 206-350-8462. And it's that part we've all been waiting for. What are we talking about? We're talking about that one. That only. The Wheel of Manga. Yes, friends, the Wheel of Manga substitute. Now, what is the Wheel of Manga? The Wheel of Manga is a Wheel of Fortune where what I've done is I've assigned a manga to each of the ten slots. On what I'm doing too is I'm going to spin the Wheel of Manga, whatever number lands on that's what we're reviewing in the next episode of the Sparkin Manga Review. <gasps> yes. So let me spin it and we'll see what we're reviewing in the next episode because we got some really good titles coming up. We'll see. Number nine, which is going to be. Oh boy. A manga about two sisters who move in with a rich, mean kid and an alligator that rapes one of them. Oh god. So, in the next episode of the Sparkin Manga Review, I'm going to be reviewing He Is My Master. I don't really know what to say about that because it's. Oh god. So, going from Astro Boy, which is going to be obviously 5 out of 5, to He Is My Master, which may be a 1. I don't know. I guess that's it for this episode of the Spark and Manga Review. If you want to find out more about Astro Boy, check out the Astro Boy essays or check out Daryl Surratt's article in the Otaku USA issue number three. 
and or check out the Anime World Order episode where they review Astro Boy. Uh, I'll put a link up on there, on the website, so you can check it out. Alright, guess it for this episode. As usual, this is your host, Zan, for Spark and Manga Review, and I am Gonsville. Catch you guys next time. Later.